Welcome back to another sermon podcast from Mount Hope Belmont, where you will hear messages designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so you can go and live your life driven by faith. Have you ever wondered who God is in your life? For me, I see God as a good leader, a good boss, and also a good counselor. Someone who gave his love for me, no matter how many times I make a mistake. And how about you? How do you see God in your life? Who is he to you? We hope you will enjoy today's podcast as we are going to find out from the life of Jesus just how much he loves us and gave his life for us from the cross till this very day and how we should give our lives to him in days to come. Would you join me? Would you thank our worship team for leading us in worship this morning? You did a fantastic job. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19 we're going to be in. That's page 878 in these black chair Bibles in front of you. Uh, or maybe you brought your own Bible or use your phone. Whatever you use, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 or 19, actually both, in just a moment. Listen, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to admit this publicly, but... I bet that many of us, many of us have found ourselves at some point or another watching one of those uh, reality talent shows. And I don't know which one you might like. I don't know which one you've watched before, but maybe you watched American Idol or maybe you watch America's Got Talent, but they're all over the place. They pretty much uh, have taken over television. And so my guess is somewhere you've watched one of those. And all of us, We've seen the person, right, and been completely baffled by the person. You know what I'm talking about. The person who shows up on the, at the audition and thinks they're really, really good. You know what I'm talking about? The person is baffling when you watch it on TV, and, and people clearly have told them that they're good in their life. Uh, people that, people, they, they've done this before. They somehow have, have a great self-confidence in their ability to sing or do magic or whatever it is that they're doing, cook or whatever the show is about. And they walk into the audition full of confidence, and then they begin the talent, and some of these people become household names, whether it's Sanjaya or William Hung or Andy Bernard. If you get that last reference, we should be friends. And so they walk into the audition, right? They walk into the audition, and, and they just they think that they're really good, but they start doing the talent, and all of a sudden, uh, the entire world looks and realizes that they're, they're not nearly as good as they think they are. And it's a painful thing to watch, isn't it? You've seen that on TV. And, and there's this guilty pleasure that the audience gets out of, out of mocking this person behind their back and then to their face where they walk in thinking they're really, really good. And we wonder to ourselves, how could that person be so blind? How could they be so blind not to realize that this is not their gift? I'm sure they have many other things that they're good at. I'm sure they have other talents that they're amazing at. But singing or playing the guitar or cooking or whatever the show is about, this is just not it. How could they be so blind to reality? And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this passage of Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1 where Peter basically says to us, there are a lot of Christians that are like the reality talent show contestant 
who do not realize just how far off they really are. In fact, he uses that very word, blind. He says they're blind. They are blind to just how far off base they really are. And so we've been challenged as we've talked over the last few weeks. We're talking about how could we live this year, 2020, with perfect vision and clarity. And the first thing that Peter tells us we have to do is we have to recognize in ourselves those places in our walk with Jesus Christ where we actually think that we're doing better than we really may be doing. And this is how Peter says it. This is how he says it in in verse 5 of chapter 1. He says, for this reason, and that for this reason is, is he's referencing the fact that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him and you are a disciple of his, you have been saved by him. He says, for that reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And he's saying, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And look what he says. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And what Peter's saying is that if you're a follower of Jesus, there ought to be certain things in your life and in my life, virtue and knowledge, brotherly affection and love, things that are growing in our life out of that relationship. Those are not things that save us or allow us to enter into relationship with God. But they are things that should be a byproduct of that relationship. We should be growing in those things. And Peter's saying, for someone to say that they're a Christian or a follower of Jesus and lack any of these things or not be growing in any of these things, that person is nearsighted and in some ways blind, just like the contestant on the show who thinks that they're really good but really are off base. And so we've been challenged by this over the last few weeks. How do we make sure that we are seeing things clearly, that we are seeing where God wants us to be and where we are clearly so that we can do the things that God wants us to do? And we've said a couple of things over the last few weeks. We said if this is going to be a year we live in clarity, that we are going to live so that we do not change the Bible to fit our lives, but we are going to allow our lives to be changed by the Bible. And I encouraged you this year. Many years we'll give a, a Bible reading plan that is uh, read through the Bible in a year or read through the New Testament in a year. This year we're encouraging you to go deep into smaller sections of Scripture, to spend a month in one book, to spend uh, a couple of months going through one book of the Bible over and over again so it can sink deep inside of you and your life can be changed by it. To live with clarity, we said, make prayer a first priority and not a last resort. Don't wait just to pray when, when you're overwhelmed, but pray ahead of those times. Use the words that God's already given us in Scripture, the Psalms and other passages where he teaches us how to pray and let those be your guide. And, and last week we said to live with clarity, don't be a passive consumer in this community, but be an active contributor. That if we would come together and love and serve each other the way God calls us to, rather than come together just expecting that other people should love and serve us, that God will help us to see him more clearly and see one another more clearly. And we're going to look today at one other area of our lives, that if you're going to live this year with great clarity, wouldn't it be great to live one year of our lives with perfect clarity and vision, wouldn't it? 
I don't, I, I'm, you know, I've lived through 39 years and I still have yet to hit a year that I would say I lived that year with perfect clarity and vision. Maybe it's, maybe it's coming in the future, but right now I would love to get through a year and say I lived that year on task and on purpose and on mission all 12 months of the year. There's one more area that if you and I are going to live on mission this year with perfect clarity, we've got to get this right. And here's the challenge. I would say more than any other area we've talked about so far, this is the area where it is so easy to spot the problems in other people, but to not spot the problems in ourselves. It's so easy to sit backstage and watch other people perform and comment on how they're messing up in this area. But so easy for us not to realize that when we get on stage and it's our turn to perform, we're not nearly as good as we think we are. And so this is a challenging area. And I'm going to ask us this morning, and I've had to do this myself as I've prepared this message over the last few weeks, to take a long look in the mirror and not just to hear what's being said this morning and say, yep, I can think of 50 people that have a problem with that. But to look in the mirror and say, okay, God, where do I fall short here? Where do I struggle? And to talk about this this morning, we're actually going to tell the story of two different people that met Jesus. Two different people actually from fairly similar life situations that met Jesus but had very different results. And one of these stories you may remember from from just about six or seven weeks ago, we talked about it on a Sunday morning. And another story you may remember, because if you grew up in Sunday school, you sang a song about this guy over and over and over again. The first story is in Luke chapter 18. And it's the story, my guess is in your Bible, you have those little titles there, My guess is your your story is titled something like The Rich Young Ruler in chapter 18. It's verse verse 18 as well. And here's how the story goes. I'll tell you this one. Jesus is in a crowd of people, and from the crowd emerges what the text says is a rich young ruler. And you remember, if you remember the sermon from a couple months ago, we said this guy has a lot of things going for him. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. Isn't that what we all want? He is the Silicon Valley superstar of the day. He has youth, he has money, and he has power. And so he walks up to Jesus and he says to him, he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in that question, he reveals something about himself, that even though he has youth and he has resources and he has power, he already knows that there's something that those three things can never give him. And so he wants this from God. He wants this from Jesus. How do I know I can have eternal life? How do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back to him, basically, be a good person. Keep the Ten Commandments. And he says to Jesus, I do all this. And Jesus says, well, one thing, one, one other thing you lack. All your money, take all your possessions Sell them all and give your money to the poor. Then you'll have eternal life. And the text says that the man walks away very sad because he was very rich. And this is what Jesus says after he walks away. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, it says in verse 24, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier 
For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it, listen to what they say. This is such a telling question. The crowd who heard it said, then who can be saved? They look at this rich young ruler and they're like, if this guy can't make it in, we are all in big trouble. If the young guy with the money and the power can't get into heaven, who then can be saved? I think we look at a text like this and we see Jesus say something like, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we say to ourselves, good news, I am not rich, so Jesus is not talking to me. I know who he's talking to because I see them up on the hill in Belmont, and I see them with their vehicles, and I see them with all the things that they have in their private jets, and and I know who he's talking to, but he's not talking to me. I just want to uh, encourage you. This is the first look into the mirror this morning. I think Jesus is talking to you. We think nationally about wealth. We think culturally about wealth. So there's a lot of talk about the one percenters. And my, my guess is, we don't have to you know, talk about this out loud. Don't worry, I'm not gonna, we're not announcing our income here this morning. But my guess is not a lot of us in the room would find ourselves in the top 1% of wealthiest Americans. And so we say to ourselves, I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. But I don't think that God looks at the world and just views us by nation. I think God looks at the world and views us as the world. I think to God, people are people. And the reality is that if you made, and this is from multiple places that I found online over the last couple of weeks, the same number, if your household made over $32,400 last year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. If your household made over 32,400 US dollars last year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. And that's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Because my guess is, is that that puts many of us in the room here in Massachusetts in the top 1% of earners in the world. And if it doesn't, we're probably all in the top 10. We're probably all in the top five, but I'll give us top 10. So perhaps Jesus is talking directly to us. From a world perspective, if you have a smartphone, you're very rich. From a world perspective, if you are going to leave this room and get into a vehicle you own or are leasing, you are very rich. From a world perspective, if you have $100 in a savings account, you're very rich. And that's something I have to deal with, and that's something that you have to deal with when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. Because it is so easy for us to say, look at certain people and say, well, I'm not rich, they're rich. As we live in our homes that have electricity and heat, and we don't wonder where we're going to get our next meal from. From a worldwide perspective, that puts us among the wealthiest people in the world. So maybe Jesus is talking directly to you and directly to me when he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So then we have to deal with this question. 
is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for you? Well, obviously, I think the answer is yes, but it's not going to come through the rich young ruler story. That's not where we're going to learn to look at ourselves and to look at finances correctly. It's not where we're going to learn to look at ourselves and look at money correctly. Jesus tells us, or we're told another story about another man who met Jesus, also very wealthy, but this story goes very differently, and you don't have to look far to see it. It's just at the start of chapter 19, and here we read this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was, look at the word there, and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. You can imagine what's going on through Zacchaeus's mind here. He really wants to see Jesus for who he is. And, but he's, he's not like the rich young ruler. He doesn't just step out from the crowd as if he owns the place and Jesus should be talking directly to him. He sees himself as a part of the crowd. And so he's trying to figure out how can he get a window to see where Jesus is. It's like uh, if you've ever been at Disney and everyone's lining up for that parade at the end of the day, uh, trying to find a place to see. Or if you've ever been in a crowd and you know something is coming past, you went down into the city to see the duck boats when the Patriots or the Red Sox won and you try to find a spot where you know you're going to be able to see. I remember a couple years ago, uh, someone had gifted us tickets to go to the PGA event that's often held in Norton, Massachusetts. And we went down there, and I was shocked when we walked onto the course, because some of the biggest names in golf were right in front of us, and we could just walk right up to the rope and watch them play. So Phil Mickelson or Jordan Spieth or Rory McIlroy, they were all there. And no matter where they were on the course, we could just walk up to the rope and watch them play. But you know, love them or hate them, respect them or disrespect them, there was only one person we really wanted to see that day. And I remember he was already on the back nine of the course. So we started walking and we're just walking and seeing all these pretty amazing athletes and golfers. Uh, I tend to enjoy golf. You may not enjoy golf, but I, I'm terrible at it, but I still enjoy it. And so I was watching all these people that I watch play in these big tournaments and just right like you to me, Denise, standing at the rope, watching them hit golf shots. And we kept walking on the course. And then in the distance, I saw it, a crowd 10, 12, 15 people deep. And we walked up to the backside of that crowd. And I knew who was on the other side of the crowd, but I couldn't see him or his caddy at all. And so we ran ahead three holes to where there was no one at the rope. And we stuck ourselves by the rope so that when Tiger Woods came down the fairway, we could watch him hit his shots. And when he was on the green, we could watch him putt. But that's what it took. And that's Zacchaeus running ahead of the crowd because he wants to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And here's the thing, if you want to know how God wants you to handle your resources and your possessions, there's a couple of things that you and I have to do. If you want to know how you can get over this hump that Jesus talks about, where it is very difficult for those of us that are born into societies and born into cultural situations where there is great wealth, and I'm going to continue to insist on that this morning, that we are in that sort of situation no matter how you feel this morning and how you compare yourself to other people, that it is difficult for us to enter into the kingdom of God. 
If we are going to change that and see things clearly, there's a couple of things we need to do. And the first thing you and I need to do is make every effort, make every effort to see Jesus clearly. Make every effort to see him clearly. You know, it strikes me the rich young ruler wasn't making an effort to see Jesus clearly. He walked up to Jesus with an agenda. He didn't let Jesus define himself to him. He knew he was some sort of wise sage, uh, perhaps a savior, and he just wanted to make sure he was in. And so he walked up with an agenda, and he said, Jesus, am I in? When I go, am I going to be in the good place, or am I going to be in the bad place? Which one am I going to be in? Am I going to walk and go through the gate, or am I going to fall through the trap door? Which one? That's all he wanted to know. And Jesus saw right through that. If you want to be able to see your life clearly, your possessions clearly, money clearly, you need to make every effort to see Jesus clearly. That means you stop listening to what the crowd is saying about Jesus. Stop allowing the crowd to block you from seeing him clearly. And open up the books like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and read, and allow Jesus to define himself for you. Allow Jesus to define himself as who he is so that you can see him clearly. And stop taking everybody else's word for it. We can find ourselves so easily blocked by the crowd. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has something to say about who Jesus is and what he stood for. But will you run ahead of the crowd and make every effort to see Jesus for who he really is and allow him to be the one to define that for you? The best way I know to do that is to get into these books and to read. Zacchaeus, he climbs up that tree and he sees Jesus clearly. And then something happens. Jesus sees him clearly. And this is what it looks like in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You remember the song, for I'm going to your house today, right? So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. This is what they say. This is the crowd. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Isn't it interesting, the different reactions of the crowd? The rich young ruler comes up. Jesus, am I in? Yeah, you can be in. Sell all your possessions and give all your money away. And he goes away sad. And the people said what? They said, if that guy can't get in, none of us can get in. Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of the tree and goes and eats with him. And the people say of this rich man, how in the world can he go and eat with that sinner? Why do they hate Zacchaeus so much? Well, Zacchaeus, you read in verse 2 there, was the chief tax collector. And that meant something in the day. The ruling party of the day is Rome. And they are sitting over the Jewish people, among other people, but particular to this part of the world, the Jewish people. And the people had to pay taxes to Rome. And Rome had a system for getting those taxes. They would hire Jewish men to be tax collectors. And so these were great traders. They sold out their own people to collect tax money for the Romans. And not only that, the way they earned their money 
was by charging some arbitrary fee on top of whatever Rome was charging. So let's say Rome was charging 15% of wages for taxes. It was up to the tax collector to get as much extra as they could. So they might go to their own people, the Jewish people who are hurting and, and who are oppressed, and say, your tax rate is 22%. And the people knew that it was 15% going to Rome and now 7% going to that tax collector. Or perhaps they could get 30 and they were allowed to keep whatever it is that they could get. And so the people hated the tax collectors. And our friend Zacchaeus, well, he's no normal tax collector. He is the chief tax collector. He's the head of the IRS. And they really hated him. And you know what? When the people call Zacchaeus a sinner, they are 100% correct. That is exactly who he was. And they recognized it in him. This guy is a sinner. Yes, he was. And you know who else knew it? Zacchaeus knew it. He knew what they thought of him. He knew what his job was. I'm sure when he went to social gatherings and everyone was saying, so what do you do? He wasn't real excited to let everyone know. That was probably the end of the conversation with a lot of people. And yet because everyone knew who he was as a sinner, when he saw Jesus clearly, he was able to begin to see himself clearly. As someone who was a sinner, someone who had done the wrong things, someone who had done the opposite of what God would want him to do, but yet someone with whom Jesus Christ wanted relationship. And isn't it funny, the one who could not, who could not see in himself the sin in himself, the rich young ruler, how valuable his possessions were. And Jesus knew that his possessions were an idol. And so he said, you want relationship with God? You got to sell it all and you got to give it away so that you can see God clearly. And he went away sad because he knew he couldn't do it. It was too important to him. But when Jesus encounters the one who is able to understand who he really is, Jesus says, you are the person I want relationship with. And let me tell you this morning, it could have nothing to do with money, but you might know that you have done things in your life that would not make God proud, they don't make you proud. You know you have sinned and gone your own way. Let me tell you this morning, when you make every effort to see Jesus clearly, you're going to find something. You're going to see yourself clearly as not just someone who is a sinner and who has done wrong things, but someone with whom Jesus Christ wants relationship with. And if you would be willing to invite him in the same way that Zacchaeus invites him in and begin relationship with him, you will begin to see yourself more clearly than ever before. And if you see Jesus clearly, and if you begin to see yourself clearly, it opens the door. It opens the door for something else to happen. Look what happens in Zacchaeus' life. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 
Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When you make an effort to see Jesus clearly, you begin to see yourself clearly. And when you understand who Jesus is and you understand who we are, then it opens the door for you to see your stuff, your possessions, clearly. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went off in Zacchaeus' mind, heart and mind. And Jesus didn't have to tell him to sell everything and give it to the poor. He was so overwhelmed with who Jesus Christ was and who he was that all of a sudden he recognized that he needed to treat his possessions and his money differently. And he gave over well over half of his possessions back to the people that he had defrauded. And it's interesting Because the guy that Jesus said, you have to give it all away, walked away sad and unsaved. But here Zacchaeus only gives some of it away. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. At the end of the day, it wasn't a percentage thing. It was a heart thing. It was a clarity thing. The rich young ruler in his unwillingness to see Jesus clearly, his unwillingness to see himself clearly, Jesus knew he was never going to be able to have relationship with God because his things and his possessions and his valuables were so important to him that they would always be getting in the way of a relationship with God. But with Zacchaeus, it was different. And he says, salvation has come to this house, not because God was so impressed with what Zacchaeus gave away, Zacchaeus's giving and generosity is in response to God's generosity to him. Zacchaeus is not giving away a certain sum of money, and Jesus is tallying it up and saying, okay, he reached the threshold, now he's saved. Zacchaeus is doing this in response to God's generosity to him, that despite who he was as the man, the sinner up in the tree who everyone hated, God himself came and had relationship with him, and he knows that he is saved, he sees Jesus clearly, he sees himself clearly, and he begins to see the things of this world clearly. And the truth is, if you and I as followers of Jesus truly understand who Jesus is and truly understand who we are and truly understand God's gracious gift to us, then we will be generous people. It will be a natural thing that we will be generous with what we have because we understand who Jesus is and we understand who we are. And so we will hold the things of this world loosely. And greed is something that is so easy to identify in other people, isn't it? We know who's greedy. We see them. It's really difficult to identify in ourselves. We can always find someone who's a little bit worse than us that makes us feel better. But greed comes in many different forms. It comes when we hoard money that we don't really need and refuse to help out people who really do need it. That's one way it comes. And we can point the finger at tons of people 
who seem to have a lot and don't give enough away. But I ask you to look in the mirror this morning and ask you, are there places that God's asking you to be generous to others? Greed can come as we accumulate debt to acquire things we don't really need. In the United States of America, in the year 2000, the average income was $47,000 per household. In 2017, 17 years later, the average income per household across the country was $67,000, which is, we might think is great because it went up $20,000 a household. But the other number we ought to pay attention to, especially when it comes to dealing with money and possessions effectively, is that in the year 2000, uh, the average household debt was about $50,000 a year, and in 2017, the average American household debt stood at a little over $137,000. So while income increased about 30%, debt increased about 268%. Why do we go into debt to buy things we don't need? It's an important question for us to deal with, I think. Greed can come when we get upset and angry because other people have things that we don't have. That's greed inside of us. And you're probably probably asking, you may be wondering, all right, Pastor, what's the real reason we're talking about this? What is wrong with the church budget? What program do you have that you're raising money for? I I have no program that we're raising money for today, and nothing's wrong with the church budget. Here's why we talk about this once a year. Over and over again in this book, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God says the same thing. You cannot have a healthy relationship with God and have an unhealthy relationship with money. Jesus talks more about money than anything else. And not one verse is about fundraising. Not one verse is, hey, we're going to do this mission over in Nazareth. Uh, If everyone could give to the cause, that'd be great. It's all about how money And finances and treasures on earth can stop us from seeing God clearly and growing in our relationship with him. And as your pastors, we long for you to have a healthy relationship with God. That's our desire. That you would have a good, healthy, growing relationship with, through Jesus Christ, with the God who created you and who sustains you and who has created an eternity for you. And in order to do that, we have to talk about what it looks like to have a healthy view of possessions and money because the two are linked. And I think in many ways, money is a really personal thing that God has to speak to you as an individual and convict you and talk to you about what it looks like for you to be generous to other people. Now, the Bible sets this baseline tithe at 10%. I think God calls a lot of us to do more than that. That's a different sermon for a different day. But today we're talking about where in our lives are we not seeing Jesus clearly and are we not seeing ourselves clearly and as a result not seeing our possessions and our money clearly. Some of you may remember uh, Pastor Bob Wise. He was here about six months ago, and he led us in communion. 
He was for 30 years the pastor of Brockton Assembly of God down there in Brockton, Massachusetts, and uh, for 12 years was the leader of our district. We're a part of the Assemblies of God. Our district is all the churches in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. There's 180-some churches, and uh, he, was, he was in charge of that whole district. So when he was here, uh, we went out to eat afterwards, Lori and myself and Pastor Bob and his wife, Jane. And uh, we went to his favorite restaurant, Not Your Average Joe's in Watertown there. And as we were sitting at lunch, he told me a story that I'd never heard before, and it stuck with me since. He said that before he was in Brockton, when he first started out in ministry, he was in his early 20s, he, his first church was this little tiny church in New Jersey. He said on Sundays, they were lucky if they had 15 or 20 people in attendance. And it was one of those situations, you know, they were just praying that God would help them keep the lights on. And and he and his wife, Jane, weren't really taking a salary from the church. She was a nurse so that they could support the ministry. And they're in this uh, situation. And he gets a call one day. And it's from an Assemblies of God pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. And based on a story, this is somewhere in the, in the late 60s, early 70s, he gets this call, and the pastor says, uh, you know, Bob, we have a parishioner who is visiting your area and is in the hospital, and when I looked it up in the directory, you're the closest Assemblies of God pastor to that hospital. Would you go visit our parishioner? And Pastor Bob said, sure, I'll go visit uh, that person. You know, who, who, what's her name or what's his name? And the pastor said, well, I don't know if you're going to believe me. But the person that's, that's from our church that is in the hospital near you is, is Colonel Sanders. Now, I just learned in this story that Colonel Sanders was a real person. Like, I don't know if you, he passed away in 1980. That was when I was born. I had no, I always thought it was actors playing Colonel Sanders, but this was a real person. Some of you might remember. And so I, my mind was already blown that that was a real person. But the KFC guy, Colonel Sanders, that's who was in the hospital. And so uh, Pastor Bob said, oh, all right, I'll go visit Colonel Sanders. And so he walked into the room. Now, I don't know what the appropriate uh, term is, if it's Mr. Sanders or if it's Colonel, but he walked in. He said he looked in the bed, and it was exactly what you would have expected. Lying in the hospital bed, full white suit, cane leaning against the bed, (laughs) white goatee. And he said, Mr. Sanders or Colonel, I don't know what he said. Uh, you know, I'm here to pray with you. And he said, that's great. So they prayed together. And in 1965, I actually uh, read this story this week. In 1965, Colonel Sanders uh, somewhat famously moved from a pretty ungodly life to sort of a radical conversion to Christianity. And it was, it was uh, because of his popularity and who he was, it was well known. He became friends with people like Billy Graham. And so people knew about this conversion. So here was Pastor Bob just a few years later, this young guy sitting with this businessman who is now close to 80 years old, lying in the hospital bed, who had this radical conversion to following Jesus Christ in his life. And gone were his old ways. He, he said in his own words that he became a Christian because he couldn't stop cussing on his own. That was his own language. And so, and so uh, here he is in this hospital room, and as he's leaving, Colonel Sanders says to Pastor Bob, he says, listen, son, on Sunday, I'm coming to your church. He said, I just need a ride. Um, And so Pastor Bob said, I'll get you a ride. Now, what I didn't tell you, there was a man in Pastor Bob's church, this little church of 15 or 20 people, who was a very successful businessman. But to be quite honest, he wasn't very generous. Pastor Bob said he had tried. He had stood on the stage and preached about money and and tried to help this guy realize that he should be generous, but he wasn't budging. 
So he called him up and he said, I have someone that I would like for you to give a ride to church to on Sunday from the hospital. And the man said, Pastor Bob, thanks, but no thanks. And he said, the man is Colonel Sanders. And he said, I'll pick him up on Sunday. And so he picked up Colonel Sanders and they drove into the church and he said, there's this little gathering of people and up the stairs walks this guy in his white suit with his cane and he walks into the room and he sits in the front row and they have church and they play the music and he preaches the sermon and he can tell that Colonel Sanders wants to say something. So he says, you know, by all means, Mr. Sanders, say something to us. And he said he stood up in front of the church and he said he didn't even come on the platform. He just kind of stood in front of all the chairs with his cane and he said, here's the deal. God's blessed me. And he had sold KFC before, but they were still paying him as an endorser. He said, I get $6,000 a week to travel around the country and endorse Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I send my church a check for $600 every week. And today, I'm going to give my $600 check to your church. And basically what he was saying is, if I could paraphrase him, before I didn't see God clearly, I didn't see myself clearly, And so I didn't see my money clearly, but now I see clearly. And Pastor Bob said he tried not to get too excited, but $600 would cover their expenses for almost two months in that church at that point. And he couldn't even believe it. He says he's not sure exactly what was said in those car rides, but all he knows is that after that, this businessman in his church saw Jesus more clearly, saw himself more clearly, and became far more generous. And so the question is this, and I'm truly saying this because my desire for you is to have a healthy relationship with God. Where in your life do you need to see Jesus more clearly and yourself more clearly so that you can see your valuables and your possessions the way you need to see them? If you look at the crowd and you allow the crowd to block your view, you will always have a skewed perception of money and possessions and who Jesus is. But when we look at Jesus clearly and understand God's generosity to us through the cross and through the empty grave and by allowing us to have a relationship with him, then we see our money and our possessions with clarity. And if you want to live this year with clarity, I want to encourage you to live beneath your means so that you can give beyond your limits. To live beneath your means so that God can use you to give beyond your limits. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning, and I want to give you one last idea as you think about this, because the reality is, and we talked about those debt numbers earlier, the reality is so many of us have gotten ourselves into a situation that even if we wanted to be generous, we can't do it because there's too much debt to pay off. So how do you get yourself into a healthy place financially? Let me give you one very practical thing that you could do. This spring, we are going to offer another round of what's called Financial Peace University. It is, and I'll give you my, my, uh, my shortest version, it is a very practical nine-week class where you will learn to, un- you will begin to understand how God views money, how we should view money, and how you can order your steps so that you can be in a healthy space financially. This is not a class that's going to tell you to, to give to our capital campaign or to, this is a class that's just going to help you get healthy financially. So if you find yourself in debt and you find yourself unable to do what God's calling you to do because there's too much uh, month at the end of the money, is what they say in the class, 
then this is a great place to start. You will get practical tools in this class, godly tools as to how you can order your finances appropriately. Dan Rakich is right here, and he is going to lead that class. It's going to start in April. So we just want to know today, if you are someone who would be interested in the class, Lori and I took this class shortly after we got married. It was tremendously valuable. And so I'd encourage you to take it as well. On your Connect card right here, there's a little box that says, I am interested in Financial Peace University. That's all we want to know right now. You're not signing your name in blood. You're not saying, I'll definitely be there on April 8th. Just, we just want to know if you're interested. And if you're interested, it's going to start here at, at the Belmont campus uh, in April. And we just want to know if you're interested. So you would write your name down, check that box. And in the Connect Center, there's a box for all your Connect cards. You can put that right there and let us know. Would you stand with me? Would you stand with me as we close this morning? God, I thank you. I thank you for your generosity to us through Jesus Christ. We do not deserve your grace. We do not deserve relationship with you, and yet you've given it so freely. God, help us to see Jesus clearly, to see ourselves clearly, so that we might handle the things of this world in a way that pleases you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together as we close. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.